something that is strong is resilient. It's something that could keep getting hit and stay the same. Welcome into Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I invited Pastor Todd, who is a local Methodist pastor, and we discussed what is a good man and what are some good examples in the Bible that we can look at. It was a really fun, engaging conversation. I enjoyed everything he said. Let's give it a listen. Something that we wanted to discuss on here just from your perspective as a pastor and what you've seen and what you've read and studied. So I wanted to have a discussion with you on what is a good man? And then what are some examples from the Bible specifically that you could tell us about? Let's go down that discussion and then talk from there. I just want to kind of maybe preface this discussion with all of this is coming from kind of my particular strain of Christian tradition. Uh, So I am an ordained Methodist minister you're probably going to get a lot of different answers to this question, right? Like we're, we're not really a, a very homogenous group uh, when it comes to what we believe about stuff like this and questions like, you know, what is a good man? I mean, that's the type of question that if you asked it in a, if you ask 10 Christians, you're going to get 20 different answers. You know what I mean? So just to kind of preface it with that, I, I don't claim to be an expert, but this is kind of what I, what I see in the scriptures. And, And without it being a a cop-out, I would like to say that a good man or a biblical man or a a godly man is someone who is seeking to be transformed fully and completely into the image of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because there there is no stated goal in the scriptures of becoming a godly man or becoming a godly woman, especially in the New Testament, what you see is, is not becoming a godly man or becoming a godly woman, but a godly man or a godly woman is someone who strives to become like Jesus. That's the goal, is becoming transformed into the image of Jesus. And there are tons and tons of you know works and theological reflections that are given about what exactly that means to be transformed into the image of Jesus. But, but that's what I would say. If you were going to kind of Focus that in on what does it mean to be a a good man or a godly man? I would say it's somebody that is seeking to transform their life into the image of Jesus. And as a Christian, that's where we get that term Christian as a follower of Christ. Everything starts and stops with Jesus. And so the focus is kind of strictly on him. And he is the pattern. He is the, the pioneer of our faith. He is the one who is the first and the last. He is the one who has died and is raised again. And so he has experienced everything that man experiences and yet has triumphed over it. And in that, he has kind of become the fullness of who humanity, but in particular, like we're talking today, man is to become. And so, you know, as we talk about it today, I mean, some of the stuff I want to talk about to your keen listener ears, Miles, it's probably going to be like, well, isn't that, that doesn't sound uniquely manly. And I guess what I would say to that is, I don't think it really is. I think, I think some of the stuff that I'm talking about 
It's stuff that a, a good man or a godly man should do. These are characteristics of a good man and a godly man, but they're probably characteristics of a good woman and a godly woman as well. It's going to look different as they live that out in the world. But I think the the characteristics are pretty similar because I think they're characteristics that we find in the gospels when they talk about who Jesus is and in the New Testament letters where we find out who Jesus is. And so I think that's why that might seem like a little bit of an overlap. I think too, with Jesus Christ living by eternal laws that are everlasting and being eternal, they can be applied by everybody. It's not just one person or the other with the things that he taught and the example he showed, everybody can use that and get the same results that he got. Right. Right. And it's going to look different. Like when, like when you do these things, it's going to look different than when I do them, but the characteristics are still the same. And so, you know, there's a, there's a hundred different ways I could go with this, but the one verse that kind of kept sticking out to me was first Corinthians 16, 13, uh, where Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church uh, and in particular, the men of, of the Corinthian church where he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. And so as I was thinking about, those four things, be watchful, stand firm, act like men and be strong. You know, I'm a, I'm a Methodist minister. So of course I I started thinking in terms of preaching and sermon writing, and I'm a sucker for alliteration. So I have, I have four R words that I think, I think probably go with this. So be watchful, I would say is, is be ready. Uh, Stand firm in the faith is a way of being righteous. Act like men is being responsible and be strong, I think is being resilient. So be ready, be righteous, be responsible, be resilient. And I think those, those four things are when I look at the picture of Christ, but also when I look at the the picture of masculinity and manhood throughout the scriptures and, and these characters we're going to talk about, those are kind of the four things that I think stick out. And I think they resonate with a lot of what Paul's talking about. So when we talk about being ready, I mean, what, what does that even mean? Being watchful? What are, what are we watching out for? Uh, I think about that, that passage in first Peter, where Peter tells us to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have to, to have this preparation, to know where you stand on certain things and to be able to articulate that, and to do it with gentleness and respect, which is something that Paul says at the end of that line, do it with gentleness and respect. Be so, um, and, and gentleness and respect is not, is, I think in today's culture, we think of that as a response of weakness, but actually it's a response of confidence. I am so confident in what I believe and so confident in my ability to articulate that, that I can do it with gentleness and respect. And when you look throughout the scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, you see characters who are marked by their readiness, right? You can think of Noah and his willingness to prepare himself and his family for the flood and endure the derision of all the people of that day. And yet he committed himself to being ready. You can think about Abraham being called out of his homeland, right? The land of Ur to go to this promised land that, that God was calling him to. And 
you know, he's an old man at this time. He, he doesn't have to do that. He's well-respected in his town. He knows where all the coffee shops are. Like he knows, you know what I mean? Like he knows who he can call to fix his toilet. Like he knows all these things. And yet God is saying, Hey, I'm not done with you yet. Are you ready to follow me still? You're in your eighties, but I don't care. I'm calling you either way. Are you ready to follow me? And we see that Abraham does. Interesting when you read the passage about faith in the letter to the Hebrew church in Hebrews uh, 11, it talks about how Abraham left his hometown and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his readiness and willingness to respond to God's call that ended up being a pathway for his righteousness. Um, I don't even think about, I mean, mean, you can go like through every character if we won't do that, but you can go through like, I mean, like David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. That's a pretty familiar passage. David is prepared. He's not a warrior, right? He's a, he's a shepherd boy. And yet when the opportunity is there, he is ready. And I think that we as men have to be prepared for when our opportunities show up, whether that is something that, that God is calling us to, whether that's something in our, our business life, whether that's something in our personal life, we have to be constantly preparing ourselves so that when those opportunities cross our paths, we are ready to meet them, uh, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, and so there's like this vigilance against threats, this vigilance uh, against danger. There's this openness to opportunity. There's this refining of our character that we have to constantly be committed to um, so that we can be ready whenever the time is right. If we move on to what it means to stand firm in the faith or, or what I I'm using the word righteous to mean that the godly man will shun sin and will chase after righteousness. Um, as a Christian, as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, and as a ordained minister, I do believe that that righteousness that you chase after is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, from my perspective, that is who we should try to emulate, that the more we become like Jesus, the more righteousness of his that we receive. And, you know, I, I think about some of the passages that, that Paul, I mean, you could, this is a lot of what the Apostle Paul's writing is about in the New Testament. It's, it's how to kind of stand firm in the faith and not get pushed around by every wind of teaching, as he says. Um, how to put away childish things, which is what he, he also says to the church in Corinth, right? In first Corinthians 13, to put away childish things and to really kind of take that next step in faith and development in, in character and in virtue. And the way that the historical church has talked about this, I think is really interesting. Uh, I think it kind of gets misunderstood in today's culture but the ancient church would talk about this in terms of being dispassionate or avoiding the passions or taming the passions. I think today we talk about, oh, it's good to be passionate. We want men who are fiery and passionate. And, and the ancient church would say, yeah, maybe, but passions are things that could be virtuous that are inside of us, but they can also lead us into vice very easily. And so one of the perspectives of the early church, the ancient church, particularly groups known as the desert fathers and mothers, wrote a lot about how to tame the passions. And so 
it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you're not interested. It doesn't mean you're not faithful or even passionate in maybe the modern sense. But what it does mean is you're not controlled by every urge you have. And so that means being faithful to your wife. That means being faithful to your girlfriend. I know biologically we are all polygamists, right? That's probably how we were designed evolutionarily. But just because you are, you have those urges doesn't mean you should give in to them. It doesn't mean that they're healthy, and it doesn't mean that they will lead you into holiness and godliness. And so taming those types of passions, really guarding your heart, guarding your eyes, treating people with integrity. Yeah, it could be easier. It could be easier to, you know, cheat your way out of that that business proposal or that business dealing, but but choosing the the path of integrity, even when, hey, I could get away with this. And you have those little words, those little voices that creep up in your head and speak words that you know are deceptive. Do you entertain them or can you control them and tame them? We all have them. We all have them. We are all tempted by things. Even Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin, as the writer of Hebrews says. And so the temptations in the desert with Jesus, those were real temptations. When the devil was tempting him with food and with power and with worship, those were actual temptations that Jesus felt. And yet he was able to tame those passions, those desires. And he did that through knowing the scriptures. He refuted every single one of those temptations with a scripture. And I think that probably goes to another part of the righteousness, which is being a student of the word of God, to know how to discern God's word from my own words, to know how to discern God's word from the words that we hear from the world all the time. I mean, you think about this in the the book of Proverbs, a lot of that is a father writing to a son, dispensing heavily wisdom. That's what most of the book of Proverbs is. It's a father writing to his son things that he thinks his son should focus on or he thinks his son should avoid in the world. And I think that's part of what it means for a man to be righteous is they become kind of this dispensary of heavenly wisdom that you have a responsibility to not only be a man yourself, but to train up your sons and daughters in the way that they should go, that there is this responsibility of shepherding your relationship with your wife so that they become more like Jesus as you are becoming more like Jesus. Thirdly, when Paul talks about acting like men, when he challenges the Corinthian church with that, what does that mean? I, I would act like men. So we're all going to grow beards and wear tank top. I don't, we, you're like, what does that even mean? Uh, especially in the first century, what does that mean? But if it means anything, and I'm not, I'm going on kind of a, an exegetical limb here, but if it means anything, I think it just means being responsible. And that's the third word being responsible, being responsible for yourself. First of all, taking care of your own stuff, taking ownership for your own thought life, for your own actions, whether they be in the past or the present, for your own habits, for the way that you view other people, taking responsibility for that and doing something about it, submitting all of that to Jesus so that you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
It also means taking care of your family, being responsible to other people, taking care of your spouse, taking care of your kids, taking care of your parents. That's a lot. I get it. And there's a bit of a move today in today's culture to like live for you and become kind of this man who indulges and has everything he wants and, you know, doesn't take lip from anybody. And it's like, well, that seems more like childishness than it does manliness. Like, I'm not quite sure why that's getting propped up as this thing that we should be pursuing and and undertaking in our present culture. I got a six and seven year old. That's what they do. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not what, it's not what I as their father should be doing. I think a, a man takes responsibility not only for himself, but for those around them. I think, you know, first Timothy five, eight says that if, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so it seems like in Paul's mind anyway, it's a marker of what it means to be a man of faith or what it means to be a good man or a godly man is somebody who takes care not only of his own, his own people, but his own household, his own family and his self. I think we know this intuitively. I think when a man is not able to provide for the people he's closest to, I think when a man doesn't have his house in order, so to speak, in his own life, his own inward life, there is a sense of shame that comes with that. And I think that's providential. I don't think there's anything wrong with shame is not necessarily a bad thing. You don't want to, you don't want to stay in your shame and live in your shame, but shame can be an indicator of where you need to grow, where you need to take responsibility. And I think because we have that shame that creeps in intuitively, when we don't do those things, I think that might be an indicator that there is a higher calling that's on us to pursue that. And then lastly, the, the last word I would point to would be Paul's admonition to be strong. So be resilient. And, and I think that's actually probably a better translation of that word, be strong, or maybe a better understanding of that word, be strong. Something that is strong is resilient. It's something that could keep getting hit and stay the same. That's what it's not just strong one time. It is strong over time. And that is what resilience is. The painful part of resilience is that the only way you get it is through suffering. And the New Testament especially, but I would say the whole of the scriptures, doesn't hide that. All this hashtag blessed stuff we see out there in the in the churchy world, like, I don't know what gospel they're reading, but every single person who is lifted up in the scriptures as, as a pillar of the faith suffered for it. They either suffered because of it or the only way they got there was because they suffered. And so to think it's going to be any different with us, especially as men in the church, men in the world, I think is, is foolishness. And it's, it's a longing for, it's a longing for eternal life without the cross. There, there is no resurrection without the cross. There is no Easter without Good Friday. And, and if we don't recognize that, then we miss out on the very avenue that's going to lead us to eternal life.
And that eternal life, just quickly, that eternal life, it's not just a, when we talk about eternal life in the Christian tradition, it's not so much a term that denotes quantity, like, oh, this is just a lot of life, you know, this is more life than you can handle. So deal with it. It's not so much a term that that's denoting quantity as it is quality. So when it says eternal life, it's actually a different type of life. It's a, it's a, it's a higher life. It's an elevated sense of life. It's qualitatively different than the life you have now. I don't know about you, but I don't really want an eternity of the life I have now because the life I have now is kind of full of heartache and suffering. Now for me, maybe not as much as others, but still, I'm not so sure I want an eternity of this life. What I need is something qualitatively different, not just quantitatively different. And that's the the eternal life that we are striving for. But the only way to get there is through suffering. Paul tells us that we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, if you're going to work backwards from that, maybe the reason why men feel hopeless is because they haven't produced character. And maybe the reason why they haven't produced character is because they haven't produced endurance. And maybe the reason why they haven't produced any endurance for life is because they haven't been willing to undergo suffering. I mean, I think there's a reason why Jesus says like, look, if you want to follow me, that's great. But to do that, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will save it. And if that's true, and I tend to think it is, (laughs) as a minister, I tend to think the words of Jesus are true. Um, Then that means the only way we can attain salvation, the only way that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus is by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and losing our life so that we can receive his. And so that's what I think um, Paul's getting at when he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Be ready, be righteous, be responsible, and be resilient. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and just listening to Pastor Todd. I didn't want to say a lot because he was saying a lot of good things that I agreed with, and I loved his teachings that he taught us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to spread the word. And we are going to keep the theme on this one by listening to a nice, old-fashioned Gregorian chant. Let's give it a listen.